Welcome to the August 11th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we review new research suggesting that, in patients with transplant-eligible multiple myeloma, adding daratumumab to first-line combination regimens may be a more cost-effective strategy than saving it for second-line use. We'll also review the work of researchers who applied base editing technology to develop a complex and potent CAR T-cell product for potential off-the-shelf use in patients with T-cell leukemias and other CD7-positive malignancies. Finally, we'll review a paper that elucidates the role of set BP1 mutations in chronic neutrophilic leukemia, pointing the way toward a potential multi-pronged therapeutic approach to this rare myeloproliferative neoplasm. Let's start with the research article entitled, Daratumumab in First-Line Therapy is Cost-Effective in Transplant-Eligible Newly Diagnosed Myeloma Patients by Chihiro Yamamoto and co-authors at Jichi Medical University in Tojiji, Japan. Novel therapies have clearly improved survival outcomes for patients with multiple myeloma. However, the cost of the drugs to treat myeloma has become substantial. Patients are receiving more treatments for longer periods of time, with most novel agents continued until disease progression. Accordingly, cost-effectiveness analyses are being conducted to provide insights on the relationship between available resources and patient health benefits. The emergence of daratumumab as a treatment option introduces a new layer of complexity regarding the cost-effectiveness of myeloma treatment. Combination regimens that include daratumumab can be used up front for newly diagnosed myeloma, or they can be reserved for patients who relapse or are refractory to other initial treatments. So is daratumumab more cost-effective upfront or as a second-line treatment? First-line daratumumab was previously found to not be cost-effective under current U.S. pricing in a 2021 study looking specifically at the treatment of patients with multiple myeloma, who were considered ineligible for autologous stem cell transplantation, or ASCT. Based on that, Authors suggested that delaying daratumumab until later lines of therapy might limit healthcare costs in transplant-ineligible patients. The present study in blood looks at the cost-effectiveness of first-line versus second-line daratumumab in patients with transplant-eligible multiple myeloma. Yamamoto and co-investigators report on a Markov model developed to assess the cost-effectiveness over a 10-year time horizon of daratumumab in induction, consolidation, and maintenance for ASCT. The model incorporates data from two randomized trials that evaluated the addition of daratumumab to standard-of-care frontline triplet regimens for transplant-eligible multiple myeloma. One was Griffin the randomized trial that evaluated the addition of daratumumab to the RVD triplet of lenalidomide, bortezomib, and dexamethasone. The other was Cassiopeia, which evaluated daratumumab plus the VTD triplet of thalidomide, bortezomib, and dexamethasone. In the model, patients who received daratumumab in the frontline setting with RVD or VTD went on to receive carfilzomib plus dexamethasone, the KD regimen, in the second line. Conversely, patients who received only RVD or VTD up front would get daratumumab plus KD in the second line. It was further assumed that in the third line of therapy, all patients would get elotuzumab, pamolidomide, and dexamethasone, while in the fourth line, all would receive panobinostat, bordezomib, and dexamethasone. 
Of note, the model incorporated minimal residual disease, or MRD, to estimate long-term survival. MRD has emerged in recent years as a relevant surrogate for survival in multiple myeloma. The authors used MRD status after ASCT to predict progression-free survival. While long-term outcomes of the Griffin and Cassiopeia are not yet available, Yamamoto and co-authors said that the MRD results of those studies suggest that improved survival can be expected with the addition of daratumumab. Over the 10-year horizon, adding daratumumab to frontline triplet regimens was more cost-effective than reserving daratumumab for second-line use, both from U.S. and Japanese payer perspectives. The upfront DRVD and DVTD regimens lowered costs as assessed by the Incremental Cost-Effectiveness Ratio, or ICER, and increased quality-adjusted life years, or qualies. Both DRVD and DVTD had higher qualies with lower costs at 10 years when compared to RVD and VTD, respectively. Frontline daratumumab was not more cost-effective over a shorter time frame. Looking at a five-year time point, the ICER of first-line versus second-line daratumumab far exceeded the willingness-to-pay thresholds of $150,000 per quali in the U.S. and 7.5 million yen per quali in Japan. However, looking at costs per Markov cycle provided more insight on the dynamics of cost-effectiveness over time. Costs per cycle were initially higher when daratumumab was used up front, but over time, the cost decreased such that the frontline therapy eventually became more cost-effective. The cumulative cost of RVD exceeded cost of DRVD at 78 months, while the cost of VTD exceeded DVTD at 72 months. In a commentary, Hedwig M. Blomstein of Erasmus University Rotterdam and Sonja Zwiegman of Cancer Center Amsterdam in the Netherlands said these findings have added to the field of multiple myeloma cost-effectiveness analyses by including sequential treatments and using MRD data as a surrogate for survival outcomes. They said the advantage of incorporating MRD into modeling is that decision-makers could have access to cost-effectiveness estimates right at the moment when they need to make decisions regarding reimbursement. In other words, shortly after a drug or regimen receives FDA or EMA approval. Ultimately, this could translate into better treatment access for patients, they said, especially in low- and middle-income countries. Of course, the investigators had to make a number of assumptions that substantially affect outcomes. For example, the investigators assumed a very specific sequence of treatments in the second, third, and fourth lines of treatment. Because of that, Blomstein and Zwiegman said, the conclusion of the study actually should be that adding daratumumab to first-line treatment is cost-saving in relation to the specific comparisons that were made. More cost-effectiveness research is needed. Going forward, they said, it is critical that multiple myeloma clinical trials and registries collect solid MRD and quality-of-life data while incorporating dynamic assessments using different endpoints over time. Let's review the next research article, entitled Cytosine-Based Editing Enables Quadruple-Edited Allogeneic CAR T-Cells for TALL, by Caroline Diorio and co-authors with the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, the University of Pennsylvania Perelman School of Medicine in Philadelphia, and Beam Therapeutics in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's clear that autologous CAR T-cell therapy represents a substantial clinical advance in the treatment of relapsed or refractory B-cell leukemias and lymphomas. Progress has lagged behind, however, in the treatment of T-cell malignancies with CAR T-cell therapy. 
Autologously derived CAR T-cells for the treatment of T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia are subject to limitations, including fratricide when the target antigen is expressed on both healthy and malignant cells, and the potential for disease contamination in patient-derived T-cells. In addition, autologous CAR T-cell therapies are not perfect. They are beset by logistical limitations associated with personalized cell manufacturing, as well as variable treatment efficacy due to heterogeneity of the autologous product. Accordingly, there is significant interest in developing universally compatible allogeneic CAR T-cells derived from healthy donors. Allogeneic CAR T-cell therapy offers the potential for a standardized, on-demand infusion product that could overcome manufacturing limitations and mitigate variations in treatment efficacy. There has been encouraging progress in TALL, with high rates of complete remission reported with the use of donor-derived CAR T-cells that are specific to the surface receptor CD7, which is highly expressed on TALL blasts. However, CD7 is also expressed on healthy T-cells, necessitating further genetic modifications to avoid significant fratricide. But fratricide isn't the only issue. Further modifications are needed to prevent graft-versus-host disease and rejection of allogeneic CAR T-cells by immune cells of the recipient. The most common approach for performing these modifications to date is to employ nuclease gene-editing techniques that include DNA double-strand breaks, or DSBs, such as CRISPR-Cas9. The problem is that inducing DSBs can result in unpredictable and undesirable outcomes, including complex genomic rearrangements, megabase-scale deletions, and a phenomenon called chromothripsis, literally a shattering of the chromosomes, that can result in thousands of chromosomal rearrangements. That leads us to base editing, an emerging technology that allows for highly precise and efficient creation of single base pair changes at specific sites in the genome. By avoiding the creation of DSBs, it's hoped that use of base editors will allow for on-target editing, while minimizing undesirable outcomes associated with nuclease techniques. Both adenine and cytosine base editors have been evaluated. In the present study, Diorio and colleagues report on the use of cytosine base editors, which install C, G to T, A point mutations at genomic target sites. The authors describe use of cytosine base editing to develop a quadruple-base edited allogeneic CD7-targeted CAR T-cell therapy. They also report on testing of that product in multiple preclinical models. This is believed to be the first CAR T therapy engineered to include four simultaneous genetic edits. First, CD7 is silenced in the CAR T-cells to prevent the fratricide that would otherwise prevent CAR T-cell manufacturing from happening. PD-1 is likewise silenced to reduce immune mediation inhibition of CAR T-cells. TCR-alpha silencing is added to significantly reduce the potential for graft-versus-host disease. Finally, CD-52 is edited to allow use of alumtuzumab, an anti-CD-52 antibody, in the lymphodepletion regimen given prior to infusion of the CAR T-cells. How did this work out? When compared to CRISPR-Cas9 editing, Cytosine-based editing did not impair T-cell yield, did not result in detectable translocations or karyotypic abnormalities, and did not activate pathways involved in apoptosis or DNA damage response. Furthermore, the paper just published in Blood describes robust preclinical data demonstrating that this base-edited allogeneic CD7-targeted CAR T-cell product may be highly effective in TALL.
Investigators manufactured these CAR T-cells from three different healthy donors and then adoptively transferred them into eight different patient-derived xenograft models. The treatment effectively inhibited in vivo leukemia proliferation in all xenograft models evaluated. In addition, survival was prolonged in all of the six different patient-derived xenograft models tested for survival. In a commentary also published in Blood, Dimitrios Loren Wagner of Charité Universitats Medicine Berlin in Germany said this new off-the-shelf CD7 CAR T-cell construct has the potential to expand the treatment armamentarium for patients with treatment refractory T-cell malignancies. Wagner said the investigators picked a combination of edits resulting in a cellular product that is poised for potent anti-tumor attack and is an effective means for bridging to curative allogeneic stem cell transplantation. He said the research conclusively demonstrates that, compared to CRISPR-Cas9, the base editing technique allows for higher viability of cells, improved proliferation, and optimized CAR T-cell yields. In fact, a single manufacturing run could produce up to 200 administrations for adult patients, Wagner said, which presumably would result in a substantially lower cost per dose when compared to conventional autologous CAR T-cell manufacturing. In sum, Investigators say that their CD7-directed allogeneic CAR T-cells, engineered using base editing to precisely produce multiple genetic modifications, could be an effective and potentially curative treatment for patients with TALL. It might also be used in other CD7-positive malignancies, including T-lymphoblastic lymphoma or some subtypes of acute myeloid leukemia. Based on these results, the investigators now intend to conduct translational research using these multiplex-edited CAR T-cells in children and adults with TALL. The final article in today's podcast is entitled, Mutant Set BP-1 Activates Transcription of MYC Programs to Accelerate CSF3R-Driven Myeloproliferative Neoplasms, by Sarah A. Karat and co-authors at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Chronic Neutrophilic Leukemia, or CNL, is a myeloproliferative neoplasm marked by persistent increase in neutrophils. The molecular hallmark of this disease is mutation in colony-stimulating factor III receptor, or CSF3R, the surface receptor for GCSF, or CSF3. The most common of these mutations is the CSF3R T618I mutation, which leads to constitutive JAK-STAT signaling. In fact, the JAK2 inhibitor ruxolitinib has demonstrated activity in CNL, but this activity is moderate and is sometimes not sustained. Some data suggests that better responses are seen in CNL patients with less complex genetics. This raises the possibility that outcomes could be improved by targeting secondary mutations. SET-BP1 is among the most commonly co-mutated genes in CNL. The SET-BP1 protein is a regulator of tumor suppressive pathways and serves to modulate transcription. In myeloid malignancies, mutations in the SET-BP1 gene are associated with poor prognosis. Point mutations in SET-BP1 interfere with ubiquitination of the SET-BP1 protein and its subsequent degradation. That results in an accumulation of SET-BP1 mutant protein. But mutations in SET-BP1 aren't the only problem. Even high levels of wild-type SET-BP1 have been shown to predict adverse outcomes in myeloid malignancies. So what's the precise role of SET-BP1 in CNL? Unraveling that question could lead to improved treatment outcomes for these patients. In the current research article, 
Karat and co-authors use a variety of methods to explore how SETBP1 modulates the biology of CNL. In a mouse model of CSF3R-driven CNL, adding a mutation in SETBP1 increased cellular proliferation and accelerated the progression of disease. In cell lines expressing mutant SETBP1, the authors found evidence of strong upregulation of the MYC gene and MYC target genes. As you may know, MYC is a transcription factor with an important function in setting the balance between self-renewal and differentiation in hematopoietic stem cells. What can be done about this, treatment-wise? It would be logical to look at inhibitors of lysine-specific demethylase 1, or LSD1. LSD1 has been shown to induce MYC transcriptional activity. Furthermore, a recent report indicates that FLT3-ITD mutated AML cells are sensitive to LSD1 inhibitors. In their research article, Karad and co-authors show that myeloid progenitors co-expressing mutations in CSF3R and SETBP1 were exquisitely sensitive to LSD1 inhibitors. Three different LSD1 inhibitors were evaluated, and for each, MYC expression dropped by 70% or more. Getting back to the concept of a multi-pronged treatment approach, investigators then combined LSD1 inhibitors and ruxolitinib in vitro. They found that the combination resulted in synergistic cell death for each of the three LSD1 inhibitors evaluated. Taken together, these results single out SETBP1 as a promising candidate for the development of targeted therapies in CNL. It's also worth noting that SETBP1 mutations are also strongly associated with atypical CML, suggesting another avenue for therapeutic development efforts. That much was suggested in a related commentary by Heilong Zhao and Michael W. Deininger of the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. In the commentary, Zhao and Deininger said this new work indicates that, quote, somatic mutations in cancer co-occur for a reason providing a competitive solution to a molecular problem that manifests as a highly aggressive malignancy. They said the current work reveals unexpected vulnerabilities that lend themselves to rational therapeutic exploitation. Given the dismal prognosis for patients with CNL and atypical CML, clinical trials are clearly warranted. In particular, a clinical trial combining ruxolitinib with an LSD1 inhibitor would be illuminating. However, results of such a trial may depend on whether leukemia cells rewire themselves in response to the combination, and if so, how quickly that happens. In one very recent study, challenging acute myeloid leukemia cells with an LSD1 inhibitor precipitated activation of MAP kinase signaling. Similarly, treating CSF3R mutant leukemia with a JAK2 LSD1 inhibitor combination could result in the development of resistance. Nevertheless, the present work demonstrates that combining inhibitors of JAK2 and LSD1 may be effective in the treatment of CNL. Based on that, the commentary authors concluded that perhaps there is, quote, light at the end of the tunnel for these patients. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.